Please. Ooh. Sister, would you pull the one that says, it's the second one in from the left, just pull that one down a little bit? There we go, that sounds a little bit more forgiving. And if it's needing to be more, then I'll let you determine that as, as I go on. We are going to be looking in Matthew chapter 13, the 14th and the 15th verse. Matthew 13, the 14th and 15th verse. I remember when I was younger, I didn't understand a lot of Bible things. My, I think my grandparents gave me Bible tapes and Bible stories when I was a kid. But I remember when I got a little older and could read, I didn't read a whole lot of the Bible except where I found the letters in red because I was very much interested in what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? And we should have that same interest here this morning. What did he say? And not just so that we can have the knowledge uh, tucked away in our minds, but Jesus had a purpose for speaking. And his purpose was to change our heart and to change our minds. So we reach into the 13th chapter of Matthew. And we find this being said, this is about the group of people that Jesus was preaching to, that Jesus was dealing with oftentimes made up of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which would have been people that should know better, but they seem to be more ignorant than even the simple farmer. But even yet, amongst this group of people were the simple farmers. Also were the people of fishermen and different other trades at those particular times. That's encompassed in this statement that's going to be brought up that we read here in chapter 13, uh, verses 14 and 15. It says that in these people, in this group of people, is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, that's Greek for Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Another translation says it this way, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, You'll be ever learning, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Father, we thank you for the words that have been given to us. And Lord, to think that Isaiah spoke these words many years before Christ ever came to earth, and yet this is coming to pass right in the day of Christ, and I believe this is a perpetual prophecy that'll go on until the end. We pray thee, O Lord, that you help us this morning to hear your spirit and not to be amongst the number of these whom are being pointed out by this prophecy. And we ask that your spirit will make applications so practical, so individual to us here this morning, so that, Lord, this is not one of those times where we are unaffected, but a time where we are very much affected by your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Benjamin Franklin said, we are all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. It's quite a statement. 
We're all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. The thought kind of in these particular verses that we've read is of willful ignorance. And by definition, willful, willful ignorance is the state and practice of ignoring any sensory input that appears to contradict one's inner model of reality. At heart, it is almost certainly driven by confirmation bias. In other words, willful ignorance means that I am receiving some input coming to me and it doesn't really agree with what I want. So I'm going to remain willfully ignorant of it. I'm going to make a choice to not allow this, which is coming in, to affect me at all, even though it may be a pretty decent argument. We find that in many different spheres as we live here on this earth. But the most important sphere that you and I have to be aware of is that spiritual one. Because if we, we can treat many different things in life like this, but if we do it in the spiritual, it has dire consequences. And we don't want to be amongst those numbers. And I don't believe you do either. Another short way of putting it is willful ignorance is tactical stupidity. It's a strategy to be stupid about things and about spiritual things. There's a reason why. So what does it look like? Often, the willfully ignorant will make excuses claiming that a source is unreliable, suggesting that an experiment was flawed or asserting that an opinion is too biased. It's very convenient to say things like that when we're confronted with facts, when we're confronted with information. Oh, well, that's just because they said it, or that's just a flawed thing. It's easy to say that, and that's what they say about this word. You bring this up and they say it's written by men. Well, that's not gonna help you get anywhere. It's written by men that were inspired by the Holy Ghost, the Bible tells us. And if you look inside this book, you may find things that appear to be contradictions. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you find that those contradictions, supposed, have a very reasonable answer. And they're not contradictions whatsoever. This book is so unified over thousands of years that then it does beg for the answer of this question. Was there a divine hand that somehow superintended all of these writings, because how else could they have been put together and fit together in such perfection? That's something we have to ask. What does this willful ignorance look like? Willful ignorance can involve outright refusal to read, hear, or study in any way anything that does not conform to the willful ignorant, willfully ignorant person's worldview. You've probably heard the term also that ignorance is bliss, right? In some sense, there is a truth to that that I can't say would always be wrong, but most of the time when that phrase is used, it's a cop-out. Ignorance is bliss, meaning if I don't know, then I'm not responsible. There are those of you here that will hear this word this morning, or at any other time you may hear the word of God, whether you're by yourself, or whether it be another Sunday, or whether it be another church that will hear God's word and will be changed. But there are those of you here that will hear God's word repeatedly over and over again and will not be changed. There are those of you that'll hear God's word in this building and not be changed because you won't allow that word to lodge inside of the heart. 
You won't allow the words that Jesus has spoken to really get in there in the spot where it feels uncomfortable at times. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to unearth that. I don't want Jesus to come in this area of my life. And the reason that I can say confidently that there are some of you here that will do that is because the scriptures bear that out. Jesus said that. And so it is possible and likely that there are some here where that's taking place. And so I am proposing then that what Jesus was teaching is there are people that come under the hearing of God's word that are willingly dull, willingly ignorant, willingly refusing to let God's word come in and do in them what he's intended. So as we look inside of the scriptures, there's a few things that we can notice here. He talked about hearing, he talked about seeing, and he talked about understanding. Sometimes people will say, well, that's just because I'm a sinner or I don't know any better. And there's some merit to that. But here's something that you and I have to realize. Every single human being that is created is created with all these faculties of perception. Every human being is created with the ability to see. Every human being, I say everybody generally, there's probably diseases of blindness or uh, somebody who's deaf, but this is generally how God has made humanity. That everyone is created with that ability to see, to hear, to understand. It's part of being alive. It's part of us relating with the world around us. So we can't step back and say, well, I just haven't been given that. No, all of us have been given that. And this is not just physical that he's talking about with this hearing, seeing, and understanding, but spiritual. That's where he's really speaking. But think about this. Think about hearing, as Jesus brought up. The, regu the regular faculty of hearing, think about just that. Think about the sound of birds chirping. Right now we don't hear much of it because of what season we are in. But when the springtime comes, isn't it easier when the, when the sun just starts coming up over the back of the mountains or right up on the horizon? Even though you may feel tired, there's some kind of a spring in your step that's not there in the wintertime when you hear the birds chirping just before the sun crests over top of the horizon, right? It does something to you. You're like, man, it's going to be sunny today. It's warm today. The birds are ready and I feel ready. I can't say you feel that every single time, but once you've gone through a winter, it's pretty easy to look forward to that. You're hearing those birds out there. You're hearing it and it's a beautiful sound that affects you. The sound of children laughing, that affects you, doesn't it? Sometimes you're just sitting there and you may be having a difficult time and you start hearing them giggle off on the side over here and they can't even help themselves. And whatever they're giggling about makes absolutely no sense, but you hear it and it does something to you. Same thing with a baby, giggling or cooing. I hear someone around here. There he is, he's back there. <laughs> baby's giggling, baby's cooing. There's something about that. Even when you're having a rough time and you look down into the face of a little baby and they give you a smile, that does something for you, doesn't it? And I was talking about the faculty of hearing. You're hearing them giggling or cooing or making their noises. Ooh, ooh. They don't even know what they're doing, but you're like, isn't that so cute? I can't even stand it. You turn you, you, from a grown man into just, you know, <laughs> you turn to a totally different person. It does something to you. The sound of a waterfall. 
You go out on a hike, you see the water pouring down. And if you've been at a waterfall before where it's not so commercialized that, you know, there's driving all the way around and it's very noisy, it's quite an experience to sit there and hear the roar of it and to just be there. It affects you, or even a babbling brook for that matter. It used to be a place that we would go uh, in Massachusetts called Wakona Falls. You could walk up the hill and go back behind it, and then you would get to, I wouldn't even call it a river. I don't even know if I'd call it a babbling brook. There's water that's coming that would feed this waterfall eventually. And if you went up higher, you could walk on the rocks in the middle of this thing, the whole, almost the whole entire length of it. I used to love going up in there. You, all you'd hear is the wind blowing in the trees on each side, and then you hear the water going right through. And I, at that point, wasn't even a Christian or whatever, but there's something about it. It did something for me. It helped me. It grounded me. Out of all the other things that are going on, it was just like, I can be alone. I can, I can just kind of think. You know, I can, I can push everything else out. But the, it was the sound of that water that attracted me. I could have went for a walk in the woods, which I like that too. But I like that, the sound of it. It affected me. And then I remember when I was in Bloomingdale, they had this, uh, it used to be a railroad, 11 miles long. They ripped the railroad tracks up and then it was just a pathway. And it, and it went for 11 miles. I used to walk past the church, go down this dead end dirt road. And then I'd walk up and down there and pray in that little area. And all you could hear was, and then you could watch the leaves blowing around, and it was quiet. It was, it was wonderful. It did something. It affected me, and you've had that experience. Maybe you've gone to the ocean before. There's something about that sound of waves beating the sand, just rolling in one after the other. It does something. It affects you. Your faculty of hearing affects you. The sweet tones of music can either bring you up to such an elevation of exultant joy or down into some kind of depressive, pensive state. Our hearing affects us. All these affect us, all these things I've mentioned. There's probably yet more. They move us. They make us do things. They make us feel certain things. They make us experience certain things. But then think about hearing the truth these spiritual realities. We can hear the truth repeatedly. We all have that faculty of hearing. We can hear it on the radio. We can read it in our Bibles. We, can, we have access to all different kinds of Christian literature, just about anywhere you want to find it, you could probably find something. They even sell it in Walmart. And I wouldn't recommend that everything in there is very wholesome or, or helpful, but nevertheless, it's everywhere. There's truth that's coming out in just about everywhere. Some people can even find it on the television, though I wouldn't recommend that much either because some of the things that come off there have been so commercialized that the truth's watered down and is absent. Books, we've talked about that. And Jesus talked about these people that were hearing truth in the parable of the sower. He talked about the good soil. Some people that when they heard the truth, what happened to them? He said other of these seeds of truth fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some in hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. So we know that there's that faculty of hearing involved, not only in this physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. Then we look at that faculty of seeing, which you and I have. We think about, again, the sunset. I remember traveling, uh, this is before we were saved. We were, uh, I was living in Arizona, she was still in Massachusetts. She came to visit me for Thanksgiving. And on Thanksgiving, we woke up at midnight and I drove from Phoenix up to the Grand Canyon and we got there when it was pitch black and we pressed against a rail and it was freezing cold. It was like 
90 something in Phoenix and we got there and it was 30 something. <laughs> I was in shorts and a t-shirt shivering. I'm standing at the railing and then waiting and then all of a sudden the sun comes up. <laughs> it was purple, pink and orange. Whoosh. And then I realized, whoa, that's a little uncomfortable. I'm standing right here at the edge and it just goes boom, down like that. But that was, I felt so small looking at that. I mean, it looked like a painting and it was, you didn't even know it was out there. But once the sun came up, the majesty of what I was looking at was incredible. It moved me. Same thing with majestic mountains. I remember driving back from the Grand Canyon and looking at the mountain ranges rolling off in the distance between Arizona. You'll find that when people see and they don't do something, here's what's the problem. That same verse that I read to you out of James, it says, he saw what manner of man he was. Then he turned away from the word or from the truth, and then he forgot. He forgot what God's word showed him about himself and about his need and what he needed to do. He forgot, so he saw and it didn't affect him. He heard, it didn't affect him. Same thing when I talked about those godly examples and you see Christ-like people. What do you do with that which you see? Does it affect you? Does it make you go and pray or talk to God about this and make a change and do something different? Or is it just one of those things we tuck back into our memories that we can talk about in reminiscing, except we're still going along in the same way. We're still just as dry and indifferent about the truth as we were before. God help us, that's not what he wants us to do. He wants us to see these people. He wants us to see the truth. He wants us to see moves of God. He wants us to see what God's done in history. He wants us to see those spiritual kingdom realities, the invisible. He wants to see the revelation that the Spirit of God gives to us. And he wants to lead us to a spiritual perception that then changes us down to the core of our being, makes us a new creature in Christ, makes us grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, makes us hunger and thirst after righteousness that you realize there's nothing good that dwells in me and I need the Holy Ghost to dwell in me in fullness. I need the living Christ to sit on the throne of my heart because otherwise I'm meat and bones and I'm headed towards a fiery hell and I don't wanna go there. And if I'm going in that direction, what's my influence doing to those around me? I'm just deadening them and making them yawn all the way down to a burning, flaming hell. But that's not what he wants us to do. That's why he speaks the truth. He speaks the truth because the truth pierces into our hearts. The he said that the truth is like a double-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and of marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows what's going on in our heart. And the word goes out, but what will we do with it? What will we do with what we saw? The thing that's so alarming is that there is a will to be sick. Remember, we started this with being willfully ignorant. It's not that we just can't get it. It's that, and I, I can't remember, there was somebody I read about who said something like this. A lady was praying at the altar, I think, and she's saying, I can't do this. And the evangelist said, wait a minute. Your problem isn't that you don't understand what the preacher said. The problem is that you're not doing anything about what you already understand. And that has a lot of truth to it. Oftentimes we say, because I don't understand this, I won't take a step. But God wasn't asking us to deal with anything about this. He's talking to us about something that we do understand. And what are we going to do about that? Instead, though, there's a will to be sick. If you knew there was information that could get to, uh, that you could get to inform you of a cure of some terrible disease that you had, would you shut your ears to that news? 
Would you close your eyes to reading articles and publications that may help you? Would you refuse to apply your heart to understand all this data you've collected so that you could then take the remedy? Yet this is exactly what some of us do today concerning true soul health. That's exactly, and I'm not saying this because I have some inner knowledge, I'm just saying it on the authority of Christ, that's exactly what some of you may do, is this very same thing. To be willfully ignorant, to be willfully sick, to willfully reject that which Jesus is trying to help me get along in. It's easy for us to think about all those people that are out there that are so ignorant and don't know. But Jesus is so interested in the people that are coming into a place like this or any church, any place where God's word's being preached. He is so interested in who's coming in there and what they're doing with his word coming out. What are they doing with my word? So these are people in the church. These are so-called believers that he's concerned about. And the, the trouble is, if we do hear it, we will fulfill this prophecy. Our hearts will wax gross. What that means is, literally, our hearts will become thick and fat. Figuratively, we'll be stupefied. It's just like there's no sense in us at all anymore. We'll be callous. We'll be willingly dull. So in conclusion, what's the result of that then? Do you see what the great importance is of yours and my hearing is? And I'm saying this as a preacher and standing up here and talking to you like this. I have the same responsibility that you have. I have to do this myself because I'm going to stand before the same God, before the same Christ on the same judgment day. And I'm going to have to answer for everything that I've heard, everything that I've seen, everything that I've understood. And what did I do? That's going to be a responsibility laid on me. And I'm not trying to just dig in and try and make something up and drag something that's not there. But simply the appeal of the Spirit of God to every one of us is this very thing. So the result is, if I don't, if I hear but can never really hear, it's like I'm hearing and hearing but I can't really hear. I'm seeing and seeing and yet I don't ever really see. My heart is, is, is having these, this data come towards it but I never really understand. What's the result of all that? We're barred from the grace of God. We're barred from it right now. Sometimes the most bitter medicine is the one that's most effective. I've learned that since I had Lyme disease. I've drank things that taste like dirt, but it helped. Now, you, I could go get some gummy vitamin and it might taste great, but it does nothing. But something about that bitter medicine had helped. And it's the same when the, when the Lord's talking to us and dealing with us into our souls and he's speaking with us. Sometimes it doesn't look so friendly. Sometimes it doesn't feel so great. Think about the time when that rich young ruler came up to Jesus. He said, Lord, I've obeyed everything all for my youth. What do I lack yet? And he said, okay, here's a guy who's gotten past the superficial stage. I think he can handle this. And he said, you know what your problem is? You have a lot of riches. I'm paraphrasing this in, in a manner just, you know, in our vernacular. You've got a lot of riches. Your heart's set on it, and it's stuck between you following me with your whole heart. So what you need to do is take all your possessions, sell it all, and give all of what you had made off that to the poor, then follow me. What happened? That man heard, that man saw, that man understood, but what did he do with it? He went away sorrowful because he loved his riches more than he did the truth. And Jesus was hoping 
that that man would turn. But he could only do so much. He could only speak the truth. The rest was in that person's hand. And it's the same with you and I. We hear the truth. The rest is in our, our responsibility. So Jesus can do nothing more for you but what you put in effort to apply his word to your very heart and life. So here's a question. Do you know you need to be saved? Is there a need that you say, I know I need to be saved. I know that my heart's not right with God. What do I do about this? And God so tenderly is speaking. God is so often speaking and saying, your heart's not right with God. Your heart's not right with God. And he keeps speaking, oh, your heart's not right. And he doesn't just be general like that. He tells us why. He tells us why it's not so that we can get the remedy and get out on the other side. Do you, do you feel like God is speaking to you, you need to be saved? Well then, don't be willingly dull. Take the bitter medicine. Whatever that is that God is teaching you or showing you in your heart, accept it. Meet his conditions and then receive the grace of God. Receive the blessing that God wants to give, but he cannot override yours and my will. He will not step over top of it. He's a perfect gentleman. Do you know you need a holy heart? Then confess, I need a holy heart. Make that public profession of your need. Make it your meat and bread. I need this. Make this sub the subject of all your thoughts and prayers. Make it the devotion of every single one of your efforts. Don't let it slip by and hear the truth over and over again that you can be freed and saved to the uttermost and then do nothing about it. Are you backslidden? Did you once know the joys of God and the light of God and walking in the truth and now you feel like my heart is not the same as it was when I first saw, met him? My heart's grown cold. I've become careless. I've become indifferent. I've become critical. I've become prayerless. The joys are departed. It's still yet the same. The often reason why people get into a backslidden state is because they have been willingly dull. They have chosen to not do anything about what the Lord has been revealing to them through his word, through his truth, and by his spirit. They have chosen to back up and step out of the light because the light makes it uncomfortable. Now they can see what God sees. Are you one that fights against holiness? God said, I, the Lord thy God, am holy. Be holy. Are you one that says, no, that can't happen. God won't do that. He doesn't expect that of me. There's no way it can happen. Be careful. The scripture speaks and so does the spirit. And so does the church, the spirit and the bride. They say, come, come to Jesus. Do you fight it? May God help us each one to not be amongst the numbers that are willingly dull. Let's be ones that are willingly coming up to the light to see if our deeds be evil, to see if we're standing right where God wants us to stand for right now at this moment. Let's come right up to the light and say, Lord, peer in. Is there something? Is, Lord, are you talking with me about something? Is there something that you've been getting after that I've been ignoring? Oftentimes, you don't have to dig too deep if you've been doing it because you already know. 
There's already something he's been dealing with and it's that thing that gnaws again and again in the back of your mind. And every time you try and pray, it's like, I can't pray, it's right here. It's right here in front of me. May God help us. He said about those people at those days, in them is the fulfilled prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. That is the desire of Christ. The rest is up to you and I. I would like to at this 